This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, March 30th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, big questions for Telluride's littlest residents. Telluride focuses on justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Seed starting season hits San Miguel. And a mountain weather forecast. In Mountain Village, town government runs the community daycare facility, Mountain Munchkins. Down in Telluride, it's a different story. While the town offers some funding to childcare facilities through its Community Assistance, Arts and Special Events, or CASE, grants, the support more or less stops there. Here's town manager Scott Robson. I would say that there hasn't necessarily been a strategic conversation, to my knowledge, within town government around um, formally how we support uh child care, early child care outside of the case case process. Not that that's minimal, but it's uh, there just hasn't been a formality around that. Scott Robson brought the issue before town council this week. Robson says finding adequate child care has been a long-term challenge for parents across San Miguel County. Currently, the town itself owns two child care facilities in Telluride, but it isn't in charge of their operations. Instead, town rents out the facilities to daycare providers. Robson explains. That is Elaine's place at Shandoka. And we also own the Telluride Preschool out in uh, East Telluride. Um, both great facilities um, and also both uh, for years now, I, I think, stressed with um, lack of em- employee base um, to the point where they're only open Monday through Thursday. Such staffing challenges are an issue throughout San Miguel County and Robson says severely limit how many children can get into daycares. Just based on lack of staffing across the county, uh, we have roughly 300 licensed spots for kids across the county, but we're only uh, filling about 175 of those 300 based on uh, inability to recruit and retain qualified staff at our daycare centers. Kathy Barber, Programs Coordinator at Strong Start, an early childhood education nonprofit, says she has an idea on why the staffing shortage persists. And I think one of the main contributing factors to that is well over 50% of our current full-time teachers are not making a living wage. If the town of Telluride began to play a more direct and formalized role in child care, Robson says they might um, have the ability to control more of that retention, recruitment, um, and, and be able to supply, frankly, some of those those benefit packages to um, early child care teachers that is often lacking in the nonprofit and, and for-profit worlds of, of child care. Mayor Delaney Young says she feels child care has long been a huge challenge in the area and town getting more involved in the issue makes sense. I think it seems like we already have a great model with what Mountain Village is doing and it seems logical we would do it, especially because we own two buildings already that have child care. My only question for a future discussion on this would be what are the insurance and liability implications when a town becomes involved with actually owning, running, employing, whatever that whole thing looks like mm-hmm. for child care. Increasing its collaboration and partnership with area daycares would have big implications for the town budget, its staff, and the duties of its elected officials. So the conversation remains quite preliminary. But hearing the approval of town council, Robson says he'll be back with more ideas on how to support Telluride's youngest residents and their parents. 
Each year, the town of Telluride commits to a number of goals and objectives, guiding lights for its mission to create a safe and healthy community. In that document, the town has named promoting justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion as a priority. We, the town, of course, have been working along this thread for years. It's not that we have done nothing in the realm of, we're going to abbreviate it to JEDI. That's Telluride Assistant Town Manager Zoe Denal speaking at a town council meeting this week. Examples being, you know, even right now with our new communications department, um, really figuring out how we can make sure everyone understands what's happening here in town council, um, disseminating information in a way that um, our goal is to make it a fifth grade reading level. So very understandable. Um, we're now um, engaged in a contract with what's called Language Line, which is an interpreting and translating service to really help um, bridge any um, language gaps. But still, Danal says they need to do more. This week, she presented an overview of Telluride's JEDI action plan. The plan is going to act as a guiding document for the town's commitment to embedding the principles and practices of JEDI in our organization and achieving these objectives set by council. Um, it's also important to note that we are aligning with the state's five-year equity action plan to kind of further even a larger scope of equity work. So, of course, we're looking within our town itself, but where it makes sense to align, we will be doing that within the state objectives. She notes it's a high-level roadmap for where the town wants to go and what it wants to do over the next five years. According to Donnell, the document is divided into four sections, leadership, community engagement, communication, and the employee life cycle. Each section then gets internal and external goals to uphold the section. Quick example for leadership internally, what that means is that leadership serves as a model through diverse representation, emboldens staff to uphold Jedi values and extinguish anti-Jedi behaviors, Leaders will review and monitor internal policies and procedures to ensure that they are inclusive and equitable and allow for diversity. The um, other part of that would be an external view of what leadership a leadership goal would be, and that would be leadership ensures each office has a set of processes to set up systems of equity and inclusion for our partners and vendors so they can embrace Jedi concepts and practices. This includes identifying and acknowledging and dismantling systems of prejudice and office policies and administering programs. While the work will come from within the organization of the government, Danal adds it's crucial to have input from the public through one-on-one -on -one conversations, stakeholder interviews, and community work groups. Claudia Garcia-Curcio is an activist and advocate in the community. She says as the town does the work, it's important to make sure everyone is at the table and compensated for their time and energy. That's what justice looks like. We want liberation. We want folks to be included. And that starts, like I told Zoe, kind of in the baseline of like, you know, the town really feeling like they're they're seen and welcome as employees, but also looking at hiring practices. Are we not representative of our population? Should we hire more um, BIPOC identities, um, not just having the language line, but having folks that their first language was Spanish and us as an organization in town, we will figure out a way to manage for those folks to be successful. So it's looking at all. And I think one thing that we all mentioned is taking it slow. This process is gonna take some time and baby steps are key for a successful outcome. Denal notes the draft action plan is a flexible document. The town plans to work on it for the year, with town council adopting the JEDI action plan in late summer, early fall. 
Yvette Henson is the county director of Colorado State University's Extension Office in the San Miguel Basin. The Extension Office has a hand in all things agricultural in the region, from 4-H programs to seed-saving efforts to the county's Master Gardener program. At this time of year, there's one big project on the horizon, seed starting in preparation for a summertime garden. Henson, who is trained as a horticulturalist, spoke with KOTO about the challenges and essentials of gardening in the high mountain desert, which we call home. I live in Norwood, up above Norwood. I live about 8,400 feet. I was born in Colorado, but when we moved back, about oh, year 96. When we moved back, I was working for a landscaper, so I did that kind of gardening. And then I've gardened in my own home garden, both food and ornamental since then. I think the things that people complain about the most in Colorado are short seasons, but it's just, to me, that's just like a lack of really understanding that if it's a cool season crop, you can grow it really well in a short season area. And those are things like cabbage, beets, carrots, lettuce, broccoli, cauliflower. There are a couple of tomato varieties that you could grow in Telluride, but that's the kind of thing you would do when you're a little more experienced. I know of a gardener in Telluride, he's got like a poly cover on his tomatoes and he grows tomatoes here. And at home in Norwood, I use covers as well, not just for the season extension, but to block out the sun, and sometimes it keeps insects out, which is good if they're a bad insect and bad if you need a pollinator. <laughs> you know, so it really depends on where you live and not just the community you live in, but your own yard. You know, like, do you have sun? Do you have a slope? Does frost drain off or does it settle there? Do you have shade? Because it's harder to grow things in the shade. Soil. Like, at my home in Norwood, I've got great soil, but it's 50% rock. So you have to know your soil and your microclimate. I think those are the most important things. And as far as seed saving goes, if anybody saves a seed, a particular seed that's special to them, we would love to put that in the seed library because local saved seeds um, adapt to the climate they're grown in. And so those are the kinds of seeds we want. And we have some amazing seed savers that donate seeds to the library. Just be prepared to fail and don't let that stop you from gardening because you have you can do all the research and you have a funny year, you get the timing wrong, but that's how you learn and then you will have successes as well. But you're going to have failures, but that's how you learn. That was Yvette Henson, director of the San Miguel Basin's Agricultural Extension. The offices in Norwood have loads of resources for interested gardeners, from seed charts to books to classes to staff members themselves. 
a seed swap at the Norwood Library this Saturday, April 1st, will usher in the spring event season. Information can be found at extension.colostate.edu. A handful of concerts this weekend end the winter season with a bash. Thursday, March 30th, we'll see local musicians Claybrook and Tom at the Telluride Arts HQ from 5 to 7 p.m. Across the street at 6 p.m., the Telluride Gold Kings will play a show at the Old Sheridan Bar, followed by Birds of Play, who will take to the Opera House stage at 8. The following night, Friday the 31st, Joint Point will close out the season at the Sheridan Opera House with a community concert. Tickets are a dollar apiece at the door, which opens at 8 p.m. for a 9 o'clock concert. Before Joint Point, don't miss the KOTO Street Dance, featuring Grateful Dead cover band Shakedown Street. Festivities will continue throughout the weekend with a final bash on closing day, Sunday, April 2nd, when DJ Wombat will be spinning tunes at Garano's to accompany the annual Pond Skim. After that, it will be the bittersweet silence of the off-season. A handful of conservation and service organizations are celebrating their completion of a 7.3-mile section of trail through the Prospector Gulch. Located in the Grand Mesa, Uncompagre, and Gunnison National Forests, to the east of Crested Butte, the completed trail section is the final segment in a far more extensive project to upgrade the Continental Divide National Scenic Trail in the region. The CDNST stretches through the Rockies from New Mexico to Montana, and the effort to improve it here in southern Colorado dates back to 2006 and involved relocating and rebuilding nearly 60 miles of trail. Construction on the Prospector Gulch section began back in 2017, and the effort was non-motorized, using livestock and draft horses to haul hand tools, trail building equipment, camping supplies, and other necessities into the wilderness to support the trail work teams. The section was completed last fall and will be open to the public in the spring of 2023. State lawmakers advanced a bill that would expand availability of electric vehicle chargers. Current law prohibits landlords and condo associations from unreasonably blocking the installation of chargers in their parking lots. The bill would expand those prohibitions to include commercial rental properties. It would also mandate updates to electric codes and would provide tax credits for EV charging stations. Expansions of EV infrastructure would not apply to interstates. Federal law prohibits the construction of commercial service stations or gas stations along those highways. The bill was approved by the Energy and Environment Committee on Wednesday and moves on to its preliminary vote in the State House. Colorado lawmakers want to add guardrails to the wolf reintroduction process in the state. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports that's the focus of three new bills introduced this week. Colorado voters approved wolf reintroduction back in 2020. The animals could be released in parts of the western slope as soon as next winter. But some lawmakers are concerned about the impacts on farmers and ranchers. One of the bill's sponsors, Democratic Representative Megan Lukens, says wolves could mean trouble for her northwest Colorado district. At the end of the day, we're all just trying to put food on the table. We're all just trying to work hard and do right by our families. And wolves coming are a direct threat to that. 
She says livestock in her district has already been attacked by wolves coming over the border from Wyoming. One of the new bills would create a fund to reimburse ranchers for livestock killed by wolves. Another would delay reintroduction until federal authorities complete an environmental assessment. A third would create a new state license plate to raise money for wolf management. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. Boulder County Parks and Open Space is working with volunteers to collect, clean, and sow native seeds. The program aims to ensure that naturally occurring ecosystems and their native populations continue to exist, while also helping open space areas heal from large-scale disturbances like wildfires and floods. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Stacy Johnson has more. In recent months, volunteers with Boulder County Parks and Open Space have been undergoing the tedious process of separating seeds from pods and shaft from a variety of native plant species. One of the volunteers working on what is called seed cleaning is Samantha. So today is a very satisfying project because we can actually see the seeds that we're working with because there have been many days where you point to a little dot and that's the seed. So, so it's very fun and it's very important and we love working with the, with the Boulder, Boulder County. Seed cleaning is one of the many facets of Boulder County's native seed program and it will enable the county to advance to the next step, which is planting or sowing seeds on the county's vast landscapes. During the morning in late February, volunteers were trying to unleash seed from limber pine cones by pounding and dissecting the seed from their tightly held enclosure. One seed at a time. In the weeks to come, weather depending, another group of volunteers will plant or sow the limber pine seeds on county landscapes at an elevation of roughly 8,000 feet. Limber pine was not the only species experiencing seed extraction by the work of volunteers. Participants were also teasing the seed from native grass stock by using various methods such as sieves, metal screens, and food processors. Overseeing these efforts of the Native Seed Program is Carrie Simo, plant ecologist and volunteer coordinator with Boulder County Parks and Open Space. Boulder County Parks and Open Space Department has a pretty robust and uh, deeply held restoration program for many decades. We've been doing ecological restoration across a myriad of different ecosystem types from grassland restoration, riparian restoration, to wildfire or flood restoration. And maybe 20 or more years ago, we really identified the the benefits and needs for the use of native seed in that ecological restoration effort that we have going on. Simo explains that using native seed and native plants, they help safeguard the county's restoration projects and land stewardship efforts for the long term. And not only that, they are able to potentially withstand challenging climatic conditions. Um, using plant materials that are locally from Boulder County as close as we can get just really helps to safeguard the efforts there because they're genetically adapted to this environment, to the to the not only the weather but the soil types and the microhabitats and the rockiness or the extreme elevational gradient that we have here in Boulder County. Um, so 
collecting native seed in the landscape is not only a great way to provide that native plant material for our ecological restoration projects, but it's also a great way to involve the community in helping parks and open space to to satisfy that restoration and to move it forward and and instill that sense of care and stewardship on the landscape. Back at the seed cleaning event, Carol Ashatz, one of the volunteers, is hard at work. Have you been to parts of Boulder County that you've witnessed your work? Uh, yes. I've been, um, I think, some of the work around Heil Valley Ranch um, after the fires. It's been fun to go back and see things starting to sprout up and life come back to that area um, also along the St. Brain River just you know when you clean out invasive weeds and you see the natural vegetation coming back things like that. I like the fact that we're helping the environment helping the area we live in and that it's a group of people that's focused on that. For KGNU I'm Stacy Johnson. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers and wind tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Snow is likely to continue Friday morning before tapering off in the afternoon. The forecast high is 35. Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a low near 15 degrees. Saturday calls for sunny skies and a high near 45 degrees, followed by a clear night with a low around 20. Sunny skies are likely to remain on Sunday with a high near 45, and Sunday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low near 30 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, March 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, this is Teresa at the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. Beautiful but treacherous, the powdery white gold of Telluride's San Juan Mountains is infamous for avalanches. Miners braved unstable snowpack and often succumbed to those slides. On March 27th, 127 years ago, four prospectors narrowly escaped death in a Bear Creek slide. Today, these same extreme conditions make possible the majestic powder rush coveted by winter sports adrenaline junkies. Luckily, we have the knowledge of modern snow science to better understand and assess avalanche dangers when living and recreating in the mountains. You can learn more about snow safety by visiting our current annual exhibit on 50 years of the Telluride ski area. But don't miss out because this is your last chance to see this exhibit before we close for the season. There are some truly special stories, artifacts, and memories that you want to explore before we switch out that gallery. We at the museum also wanted to give a special thank you to everyone in the community who supported us this month during our Daffodil Days fundraiser. Thanks to you, we had one of our biggest sales ever and raised money benefiting both the museum and the American Cancer Society. It's truly a joy to see you all and to spread that golden spring cheer. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our last day of the winter season is this Saturday, April 1st, which is also Locals Free Day. So we will reopen in June and hope to see you this week before we close. Finally, if you and your business are involved in concierge, guiding, or any services that rely on knowledge of local Telluride history, then I want to hear from you. 
The museum is going to be planning a special open house for guides this off-season or early June, and we can help your employees level up their historical knowledge and their understanding of the past to truly create an engaging and factually correct experience. So please email me at t-h-e-r-e-s-a at telluridemuseum.org or give me a call to let me know if you're interested in this program. Thanks so much, Kodo. You're a rare medium. Well done. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.